Thomas Hishak asks us to consider this fairy tale. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as the musical theater until the Americans invented it. In the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there were lots of old-fashioned musicals with old-fashioned songs, but audiences didn't know any better and enjoyed them. Then Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, and the Gershwins and other musical geniuses wrote better songs, but their musicals were hardly ever done, except Anything Goes and Annie Get Your Gun. Then along came Rodgers and Hammerstein, who brought a lot of class and a lot of serious stuff to the musical, but that was all right because there were still musical comedies like Guys and Dolls and Damn Yankees, so the musical was doing fine. By the end of the 1960s and into the 1970s, some musicals started getting really serious, but that was mostly Stephen Sondheim's fault, and at least there was Annie and La Cage aux Folles. Then a weird thing happened. The British started making good musicals, and they were very popular on Broadway, which was more than a little upsetting, because it was like the British showing up at Lexington and Concord all over again. Suddenly, Cats and the Phantom of the Opera were the biggest hits on Broadway, which didn't seem proper. And some of these British musicals weren't really British, like the French-British Miss Saigon or the Scandinavian-British Mamma Mia. Luckily, this invasion lost steam, because even Andrew Lloyd Webber ran out of hit musicals. By the turn of the new century, there were fewer London musicals. The producers and Wicked opened, and the big hits were American once again. By the second decade of the 21st century, there was the occasional Billy Elliot and such, but most of the shows were American, and some were even hip-hop and rap, but that was okay because it reflected America's national diversity. The musical theater was saved, and it lived happily ever after. While there is hardly any truth to this fairy tale, Thomas Hishak contends it would take several books to untangle all the inaccuracies in such a fable. But untangling is what Hishak set out to do in his study, The Mikado to Matilda, British Musicals on the New York Stage. As it happens, the Music Box Playhouse will return to full-fledged productions with a critically acclaimed American musical comedy, no matter that it's set in medieval England. Once Upon a Mattress that opened on Broadway in 1959, the Broadway production was directed by George Abbott, it had music by Mary Rogers. Along the way, the musical was nominated for several Tony Awards, and there is a connection to our area. The piece was originally written as a one-act musical at Tamament, the adult summer camp resort in the Poconos, in August of 1958. It was a real hit with the resort guests, and the rest is theater history. Dane Bauer doesn't shy away from directing serious and dark dramas, but he embraces a show like Once Upon a Mattress as something appropriate for this moment. The show opens this weekend, and Dane Bauer stopped in to fill us in. A number of years ago with Gaslight, I directed a show called The Sunset Limited, which was about suicide and, and does God exist, does God not exist. It was a very sort of dire situation, very sad, powerful show, and then this is just kind of a 
a fun romp through a retelling of a fairy tale. And don't you think it's great to have a choice when we are in distressing circumstances? Sometimes it is good to see reflected back to us how others cope with distressing circumstances, but sometimes the romp is just what's in order, right? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just want to go out and have fun for a couple of hours and, you know, it's an escape from what's going on in the world right now. And it it feels sometimes like every day the news gets a little worse than the day before. So to be able to just escape into a theater for two hours and enjoy some good music and some laughs and just have fun. And so I'm really excited that we can put this together and, and bring this to people. In community, in an audience where people are together laughing. Yes, exactly. Because it's important to, to remind ourselves and remind each other that there is still so much to, to be enjoyed and to have fun. And it doesn't have to be sadness and anger and hurt all the time. You can just go have fun for a couple hours, go have some, some laughs, uh, which isn't to imply that everything outside of the theater is awful, but it's a, it's a trying time in the world right now. And this is one of the first things coming back from everything being shut down. This is, the, this is definitely the first large-scale 18-cast member musical that they're doing. Tell us something about the piece itself. It's based on something, and it's got some distinguished theater people associated with it. Sure, yeah. So it's a retelling of The Princess and the Pea, and originally Carol Burnett starred in the leading role and they did a film version a number of years ago where she actually came back and played the queen who's sort of the villain in the piece so she's definitely been tied into it for a long time there was uh, on Broadway they revived it in the mid 90s with Sarah Jessica Parker as the lead role so yeah it's definitely had it's it's had its fair share of of famous actresses in these parts and we say the word Rogers in theater, but it's not Richard Rogers, but Mary Rogers. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And this was, I didn't know this. So, uh, one of the cast members actually told me that when the piece started, it was a one act that went over well and everybody, you know, they did it. I guess it was a summer stock type thing and it went over well. So then they fleshed it out and made it a full length musical. It's not, it's certainly not as long as a lot of musicals. It's, it probably runs an hour and a half. And then of course you, you'd add in the intermission in your you know, you're pushing two hours, but it's a quick, fast, fun piece, a lot of catchy songs, uh, great energy throughout the whole thing. And you've got a pretty fine cast there from what I can tell. Yes, I do. We've got a great cast. The lead is being played by Sarah Pellegrini, who's been on stages all over the area. Her energy is just, it flies off the stage. It's so, as soon as she comes in, everything that just, she just lifts the entire room uh, and her portrayal is everything that you would want Princess Winifred to be. She's a little sweet. She's a little tough. She's, you know, she's a lot of fun to watch on stage. So we have her playing opposite her is the prince, Carl Kleist, who is all over the place again, doing local theater, is is building quite the, the name for himself and quite the resume, which is great. We have Mike Favjanic and Ayanna Groover as Sir Harry and, and Lady Larkin. They're great. Alice Lyons, well-known, well-respected stage veteran. She's playing the queen. Jimmy Williams is the king. So we, I mean, the cast is top to bottom stacked, you know, Becky Phillips, Ben Steltz. It's it's a tremendously, I got very, very lucky with, with the casting. And the ensemble's fantastic too. And we, we're putting them to work. You know, they've got a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, a lot of moving around to do. So I don't make it easy on my casts. Everybody has to come ready to work. Now, it's in the title, Mattress, but well, tell us about it. Sure. I mean, The Princess and the Pea is an old story, so most people probably know it. But essentially, it's a queen who doesn't really want her young son to get married. So she finds ways she gives each princess that comes to the kingdom trying to marry him a test that she has to pass 
and she rigs them all with her counterpart, the wizard, which is being played with tremendous energy by Dave Giordano. He's great. He's fantastic. But she comes up with a plan where Princess Winifred, the main princess in the story, is she's a little crash. She's a little rough around the edges. She grew up in the swamps, so she's tough. She's a tough girl. And the queen doesn't think she shows much sensitivity. So the test she decides to do is she puts one pea under 20 mattresses. And if through those 20 mattresses she can feel that pea, then that's how she'll pass the test. So that's the basic conceit of the show. And, of course, everything's a little different than, than you think at, at the end. Are there tunes that we know that anything come out and survive out of the show? Or are they all pretty much locked into the piece itself? Um, for the most part, they're locked in. I mean, I, I'm sure a fair amount of, of young actresses through the years have probably performed the song Shy. That's, that's a very popular one from it. The Minstrel, The Jester, and I, Normandy, they're things that you can see. You see them perhaps in reviews and things like that. But there isn't that really that one huge... You know, there's not an I don't know how to love him or, or don't cry for me, Argentina. There's not that big one that, that really carried commercial clout. But all the music in the show is very charming, very catchy. You know, it's, it's melodies that just kind of stick in your head. What's fun for you and challenging at the same time? You've got 18 people to get around and we know that Music Box is intimate. Yes, <laughs> it's not a big stage. And Mike Vavjanik and I have worked tirelessly on the set for this show and... I tell you, the set eats up every square inch of that stage. It's it's massive on the stage. But yeah, coordinating 18 people, not only on the stage, but this is a hard time of year in the summer. People have vacations. People are graduating from school. You know, we've got a couple of high school students that just recently graduated. So scheduling is always a trick. But this time around, scheduling has been very, very tricky. But everybody comes in and just works their tail off from the second they get in the door till they leave every time. So it's going to be great. We're in really good shape coming into Tech Week. I'm excited. So that's always a challenge with directing is just getting getting the casting right, pairing people up correctly, and then getting the schedules all worked out and organized and making the most of your time because most of these shows we put up in about a month, four weeks or so of rehearsals. So in four weeks, you have to accomplish a lot to get it from that initial read-through to being ready to go up on stage with the lights and the sound and the choreography. Jackie Yamokowski is our choreographer. She worked with me in the past when I directed the producers at the Music Box. She was our choreographer then, so she came back. And the music director from the producers, Doug Delascavage, also came back. So we were working with the same the same team that did the producers there a couple years ago, and we had a tremendous hit with that. So I'm hoping that history will repeat itself a little bit. And you give us plenty of time to get there in terms of the number of times you do it, and I would think that's rewarding for a director and a cast that you just don't go up for a weekend and then yeah. goodbye. yeah. For me, it's a three-weekend run, so we open June 3rd, we close on the 19th, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays, so they get nine performances, which to me as an actor is kind of the sweet spot. One weekend just doesn't feel rewarding after all the work you put in. Two weekends is okay, you know, it's fine, but three weekends, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it that the cast gets to perform the show that they've worked so hard on in front of more audiences. The theater has more of an opportunity to generate some revenue, which is obviously very important. And then, you know, if you get into four weekend, five weekend runs, it starts to feel tiring and and it gets to be difficult. And you have actors and actresses who just can't commit that time because this isn't nobody's doing this as a job. We're all doing this as a hobby. So we all have our, our regular nine to fives or we're students in school. So everybody's busy. So three weekends is that perfect little slice of really getting to enjoy the fruits of your labor. 
I know we've talked about the fact that it's entertainment and escape, but is there even a little piece worth of a moral or anything that can speak to us today? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's morals in there about not judging books by the covers would be one. Uh, there's just an overall theme of embracing who you are, where you come from, celebrating your roots, um, getting other people to to understand where you're from and your roots. And so there's, you know, almost a heritage type of an aspect to it, which is great. And I, I think anytime you're doing a show that's based off a fairy tale, there's always some sort of a of a moral in the story. So I say the main takeaway would probably be not to judge a person by the by their looks or anything like that. We already had a sense, Dane, that you have a wide range as a theater person, director, actor, set builder. You've directed The Sunset Limited and The Producers and so many other pieces, and that means that you are committing your time to bringing a piece like this to the stage. It's it's rare for me to... I haven't directed all that much. I don't direct all that much because I'm choosy about my products, what I want what I want to invest the time in because it's a lot of time and energy to be directing and building a set. And, and so I'm very careful about the shows I choose. And this is a show that... I fell in love with when I did it in high school 23 years ago, and I've visited it a couple times. This will be my fourth time having some hand in the production. I was in it twice. I've done sets for it three times, uh, three of the four total productions. This is my first time directing it, though, so it's nice. It's a show that a lot of people associate with being high school. A lot of high schools do this show, so it's exciting for me to take it and perform it with adults because you don't get to see adults do this show very much. So it's nice to have people who, you know, you have a king who is old enough to be a king. You have a queen who's old enough to be a queen. You have proper ages, and it's so much fun to watch actors who you've seen do great serious work in this area, just playing, just having fun, getting into their characters, and just allowing themselves to to be silly and and tell really what is a children's tale through through adults. We're having a lot of fun with that. Dane Bauer, who is directing the Tony-nominated musical comedy Once Upon a Mattress with music by Mary Rogers, the production will open this weekend at the Music Box Dinner Playhouse in Swarsville. That's in the greater Wyoming Valley. And the shows will run June 3rd through the 5th, 10th through the 12th, and 17th through the 19th, so three successive weekends. Shows Friday and Saturday evening performances. The doors open at 6, and if you'd like to take a meal as part of the evening, that gets underway at 6.30, but the curtain Friday and Saturday would be 8 p.m. And then Sunday matinee performances. The doors open at 1. If you choose to have the dinner, that's at 1.30, but the curtain is at 3. So it's Once Upon a Mattress, the musical comedy, Music by Mary Rogers, directed here by Dane Bauer, and it's at the Music Box Dinner Playhouse, 196 Hughes Street in Swoyersville. For more information, on the web, musicbox.org, musicbox.org. That's June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, Fridays and Saturdays, curtain at 8, and the 10th, 11th, and 12th, and 17th, 18th, and 19th as well. There are Sunday matinees at 3, and there is a meal option, so you can go to the website to learn about that. That's musicbox.org, musicbox.org.